Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Now, views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show. Can Radio Productions, Senate.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Talk of the live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia. Get into the conversation, call 1724-444-7444. Call ID number 55519-POUND. That's 1724-444-7444. Call ID number 55519-POUND.
are tackling more than just their schoolwork, which is why more than 30% of them aren't graduating. But with a boost from you, 100% of them will have a better chance to make it to graduation. Go to BoostUp.org to find out how to give the high school students in your community the boost they need to make it through. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kennedy Jenkins. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views of Talk Show, Jam Radio Productions, Sonyhead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Concerning you, you, and you. Tonight we are going. To, we have a couple. We have some topics. We're going to be talking politics mostly, and also getting to um, some news items as well. And one of the items I want to I want to to talk about, and it's very. Very, very disturbing. I'll share with you. I'll share with that with you later. One of some of the things we're going to talk about, of course, as you know, Harry Harry Reid is retiring. But the big discussion is: is Elizabeth is Elizabeth Warren? Handpicked as the leader in his place. Meanwhile, Cruz is going to be running. Then we got a possible, and hopefully not, a Bush Rubio ticket for 2016. Uh, and of course, the, the Amanda Fox murder, uh, murder case. And was convicted. Uh, conviction was overturned. All this happened this week. It's, it's a lot of stuff has been going on. Want to say hello to American Voter and Guest Three? Hello, y'all, and welcome to the program. I'm glad to see Johnny. This Johnny was with me uh, this morning for a while. Um, if I did, uh, I must. It must have slipped my mind, darling. Daddy, the boss says hello. <laughs> uh well, I guess it's gonna be the last time you you hear, um. Sit down and shut up. Reconsider is considered made and laid upon the table. 
the president will be immediately notified of the Senate's action, and the Senate will resume legislative session. Under the previous order, there will be 10 minutes for debate only, with the senator from Maine, Ms. Collins, controlling eight minutes, and with two minutes equally divided in yes, the usual form not prior to a vote on the yes, motion President. to invoke cloture on S-1243. Madam President, the Senate is not in order. The Senate is not in order. The Senate will be in order. President, Madam President, have the majority leader sit down and shut up, okay? It's unfair. The Senate will Senator be in Burns order. Has something to say. Collins has something. It's just not polite. The Senate will be in order. Senators will take their conversations from the well. Senate will be in order. I don't want to have too much to say. I get some feedback. Madam President. The Senator from Maine. Thank you, Madam President. Sit down and shut up. Have the majority leader. Sit down and shut up, okay? The majority leader. Sit down and shut up. The majority leader. Sit down and shut up. Madam President. Have the majority leader. Sit down and shut up, okay? Well, that's going to be the last thing you'll hear that, huh? You tell somebody to sit down and shut up. Uh, Rand Paul smacks down Harry Reid's attempt to end his Brendan filibuster. These just highlights that have been going on, you know, from, while, while Mr. Without, Reed was in office. The, uh, the, or yielding the floor, I'd be happy to entertain a question. Mr. Majority Leader. I ask unanimous consent that the Senate proceed to the consideration of calendar number 43. The cloture motion on the desk be reported. Mandatory quorum under Rule 22 be waived. There be 90 minutes for debate with 30 minutes under control of the chair. And one hour under control of the vice chair of the Intelligence Committee. With 30 minutes of the vice chair's time under the control of Senator Paul, following the use or yielding back of that time on the nomination, the Senate proceed to vote on the cloture motion. If cloture is invoked, the Senate proceed to vote on confirmation of the nomination with no intervening action or debate. Further, the motion we consider be considered made and laid on the table. No intervening action or debate. And no further motion be in order to the nomination. That President Obama be immediately notified of the Senate's action. Senate resume legislative session. Mr. President, before I hear from my friends on the uh, consent, uh, I have no problem. People want to talk for a long time. No problem. I've done it at a time or two in my days. Um, but I think that the rest of the body needs to know if we're going to finish tonight or tomorrow or the next day. So my consent request is pretty direct. We would have 90 more minutes of debate. An hour under the control of Senator <clears throat> from Georgia. And, um, 90, 30 minutes under the, under the control of Senator Feinstein for their designates. Is there objection to the majority leader's consent request, Mr. President? I would just simply say if there's objection, we'll just come back tomorrow. On Re reserving the right to object, Mr. Senator from Georgia. Let me. Um, if I may to the, direct a question to the majority leader through the chair, that as I understand what you're asking for is 
90 more minutes, uh, 30 minutes, 25 signs, 30 minutes for me. That, that's, that's, our, that's when our senators, um, Saxby Chansby um, of Georgia, he's a uh, judge's committee ranking member. No, you would have an hour. Yeah, you'd have 30. You'd have 30. And Senator Paul would have 30 minutes. Um, and does your consent, it would start right now, basically, or? Yeah, basically. Okay. So, uh, continuing to serve the right to object, I guess then I would um, direct a question to the Senator of Kentucky since he has the floor of what amount of time you think you want to. Um, you Senator from Kentucky is recognized. Mr. President, reserving the right to object, um, I would be happy with the vote now. I've talked a lot today, but the only thing I would like is a clarification. If the President or the Attorney General will... And that's Senator Rand Paul, uh, Republican from Kentucky, that he is speaking. ...clarify that they're not going to kill non-combatants in America. He essentially almost said that this morning. He could take his remarks that he ag virtually agreed come to SmackDown. ultimately with Senator Cruz, put it into a coherent statement that says the drone program will not kill Americans who are not involved in combat. I think he probably agrees to that. I don't understand why we couldn't put that into words, but if he does, I'm, I want no more time. But if not, I will continue to object if the administration and the attorney general will not uh, provide an adequate answer. Yeah, there it is. There it is. That's the smackdown. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, we had a tough boy. I know, boy. I, wait a minute. I got to hear that one again, but sit down and shut up. I got to hear that one again.
actually sounded. It was in Washington, and it was Mayor Vincent Gray from the District of Columbia talking to Dingy Harry. Now, this goes by fast. It's only four seconds. So listen fast. I'm on your side. Don't screw it up. I'm on your side. Don't screw it up. <laughs> By the way, that was that was I was Rush Limbaugh. Uh, that was from his um that was from his his show his um show. Uh, I don't know where that was, but uh, that was that was him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Under the previous order, there will be 10 minutes for debate only, with the senator from Maine, Ms. Collins, controlling eight minutes, and with two minutes equally divided in yes, the usual the form is not prior to a vote on the yes, motion President. to invoke cloture on S-1243. Madam President, the Senate is not in order. The, the Senate is not in order. The Senate will be in order. Madam President, Madam President, have the majority leader sit down and shut up. President, have the majority leader sit down and shut up. Down and shut up. 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 Okay. You shut up. That's too funny. Sit down and shut up. Oh, boy. Let's see. Let's try one more. Get one more in. Right here, here, uh. Okay. Harry admits pass my bill while we shut down government. Oh, boy. Really, ain't it?
And so what we've got to do is we've got to get out there and we've got to be willing to fight back to take this country back. Okay, that's Elizabeth, that's, that's Elizabeth Warren. Now, a Fox host, uh, <laughs> check out this remark by a Fox host. Listen carefully. On the Fox News show, Outnumbered, they spoke a little bit about Elizabeth Warren. Listen closely to what they say, because this is a very transparent moment came out smelling like a rose. I mean, she was the one that said this is a big gift to Wall Street, and I can tell you from talking to people in the financial industry, in banking, on Wall Street, they think she is actually the devil. I mean, without question. (laughs) Elizabeth Warren is the devil. So they're going to put any money that they have behind Hillary Clinton, which should be a help, um, but it'll be interesting to see, because she's capitalizing on this moment in time, Elizabeth but Warren. But it's populist, it. Bernie. It's populist. I mean, I have to give Elizabeth Warren some credit. She's, oh, yeah. She's running against giving the big banks some right. break right. for right. their can, derivatives. Can, I mean, I know, but boil that but, down but, to right, a sound right, exactly, bite, Melissa. Right, exactly, that's right. a political right. winner. We all hate the banks because of what happened uh, four or five years ago. No, we don't. Speak for yourself. Okay, I'll speak for myself. I don't. I like what she did in the Senate last week myself, personally. So, yes, I wouldn't embrace that. But I tell you what, when they shine the light on this lady, you don't rise to the top at Harvard by being some uh, moderate wallflower. She's a radical leftist. (laughs) I love that guy. He goes on to say, yeah, she was in academia. (laughs) She was a professor. (laughs) She's so stupid because she's smart and teaches that this is a big gift to Wall Street, and I can tell you from talking to people in the financial industry, in banking, on Wall Street, they think she is actually the devil. I mean, without question, on Wall Street, they think she is actually the devil. Warren is the devil. 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 All right. Johnny, uh, Johnny, he was talking about um, Harry Reid, Reed, and uh, he said, I think he's a sore loser. He may be mentally ill. Reed, that is. <laughs> you got a guy who's mentally ill, then you got some, then you got somebody who could be the devil, the devil, the devil. Elizabeth Warren spoke at an AFL-CIO event, and she eviscerated trickle-down economics in about a minute. Trickle-down policies are actually pretty simple. First, fire the cops. Not the cops on Main Street, the cops on Wall Street. Pretty much the whole Republican Party, and if we're going to be honest, uh, too many Democrats, have talked about the evils of big government and called for deregulation. And it all sounded good. But what it was really about was tying the hands of regulators and turning loose 
big banks and giant international corporations to do whatever they wanted to do. Turning them loose to rig the market and reduce competition. Turning them loose to outsource more jobs. Turning them loose to load up on more risks and then hide behind taxpayer guarantees. Turning them loose to sell more mortgages and more credit that cheated American families. In short, turning them loose to do whatever juiced short-term profits, even if it came at the expense of working families. Look out. Now, as I was watching that speech, it occurred to me that the media and the establishment, they're going to do everything in their power to not pay attention and not cover Elizabeth Warren because she is the perfect candidate to really bring America back to an FDR-style system, a more more social democratic-like system. And the banks do not want that. The elite do not want that. The establishment do not want that. The On the Fox News show, Outnumbered, they spoke a little bit about big banks from right. Greg right. for their derivatives. I mean, all right, folks, time for random right. This is the issue, so they will be back. Join me tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., for Morning Inspirations here on TalkShoe and Jam Radio. Some students are tackling more than just their schoolwork, which is why more than 30% of them aren't graduating. But with a boost from you, 100% of them will have a better chance to make it to graduation. Go to BoostUp.org to find out how to give the high school students in your community the boost they need to make it through. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. When estranged parents are in conflict, how should a church or daycare center respond? With a word of caution for today's ministry leader, here's attorney David Gibbs, Jr. of the Christian Law Association. A pastor contacted the Christian Law Association with an immediate pressing problem. After the father dropped off his toddler at the church's daycare, his ex-wife accused him of child abuse and asked the church to deny him access to his child. The father showed the pastor a court order granting equal parental rights and the mother produced an attorney's letter advising that the father be denied access to their child. A Christian Law Association attorney talking with the pastor advised that the pastor was legally required to allow either parent to pick up the child unless he personally had reason to believe that abuse was occurring. Our attorney further advised the pastor, do not allow the child to return to the daycare until the parents resolve these legal issues. It is imperative that ministries always obey valid court orders, such as existed in this case. Today's program is just a taste of what you'll find in our free monthly newsletter. Sign up online at christianlaw.org. That's christianlaw.org. 
The views and opinions of the nation are not necessarily views of Chuck Shoe, Media Productions, StartAhead.com, and its sponsors. Welcome back. This is Nation Talk. We're talking politics and news. News and politics, well, not necessarily in that order. But we are, we, we're into it because, you know, 2016 is not that far away, as you can tell. We got a lame duck in, in the White House, and we got a slew of folks who want to run. Especially a lot of Republicans who want to take back, I mean, officially take back the White House and have both have a, a White House, Republican, a Republican White House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican uh, Congress. That sucks. That really sucks. Um, Here's a guy who, in fact, he just announced it today. Well, not today, but this week. And he's running for president. Will you buy a used car from this guy? Maybe you didn't cut. Geico because computers covered in bees. You spilled hot nacho cheese. Phone blew away in a breeze. No matter what your reason, they can be day to day. Day to day, day to day. Geico. Today, I am announcing that I'm running for President of the United States. It is a time for truth, it is a time for liberty. It is a time to reclaim the Constitution of the United States. I am honored to stand with each and every one of you, courageous conservatives, as we come together to reclaim the promise of America to reclaim the mandate, the hope and opportunity for our children and our children's children, we stand together for liberty. This is our fight. The answer will not come from Washington. It will come only from the men and women across this country, from men and women, from people of faith, from lovers of liberty, from people who respect the Constitution. It will only come as it has come at every other time of challenge in this country, when the American people stand together and say we will get back to the principles that have made this country great. We will get back and restore 
that shining city on a hill that is the United States of America. Thank you and God bless you. He just bought, he just stole a line from George Bush. Remember that shiny hill, what, light on the hill, or however he said that thing? I think you stole that from, from President Bush, um, the, the senior President Bush. I, I really think he did. And he said it for President. Again, would, would you buy a used car from that guy? Hmm. Now, somebody else... I don't think you like. Um, I want to get your reaction to your fellow Republican Ted Cruz, the senator from Texas, announcing today his candidacy for president of the United States. You put out a statement suggesting you likened him to what a carnival barker. What did you mean by that? What I mean by that is that uh, we have very, very complex issues facing the country today, and he goes out of his way to oversimplify. For instance, to say that that Obamacare. We could end Obamacare, in effect, by not funding it and shutting down the government is absolutely wrong. It's the wrong single defense. We need intelligent debate in this country. Now, Ted Cruz may be an intelligent person, but he doesn't carry out an intelligent debate. He oversimplifies, he exaggerates, and uh, he basically uh, led the Republican Party over the cliff in the fall of 2013. He's shown no qualifications, no legislation being passed, doesn't provide leadership, and he has no real experience. So, to me, uh, he's just a, a guy with a big mouth. Uh, and uh, no results. Would you support him if he were the GOP nominee? I, I just hope that day never comes. I will jump off that bridge when we come to it. But you're leaving open that possibility after you said what you said? Is that what you said? It, no, well, it would be very difficult. Uh, again, you know, uh, maybe he can go on the road to Damascus. He can have a complete conversion. But the, the way it is right now, it would be very difficult to support Ted Cruz. When are you going to announce uh, whether or not you're running for president? I'm, I'm still looking. I'll be in New Hampshire uh, next week. I'll be up there in Nashua, I believe, on April 16th and 17th. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding myself. It's not going to be easy. But if, it, uh, if the opening is there, and if not, I'll just take advantage of this opportunity to appeal to the, uh, to me, you know, the realistic wing of the party, the pro-defense Ronald Reagan wing of the Republican Party, the true conservatives, not the counterfeit conservatives like Ted Cruz, to prevent people like Cruz and Rand Paul from hijacking the nomination. You don't like Rand Paul either, is that right? Well, his views, uh, I understand personally he's a very nice guy, uh, but his views are so isolationist, and the world we face today, I think it will be taking us back to the 1930s. He calls himself a non-interventionist, not an isolationist. you buy that? No, I call him an isolationist. Uh, his views uh, would basically uh, remove the U.S. from having a real role to play in the, in the world, and his mindset, when you look at things he said over the years, in effect, blaming the United States for uh, you know, the problems around the world, uh, somehow that we, uh, it's our fault. Uh, to me, that's a bad mindset for the Commander-in-Chief of the United States to be going into office with. Any of those fellow Republican potential candidates uh, likable to you? You like any of them? Oh, sure. Listen, I, I'm not that uh, you know, tough a guy to get along with. I think uh, both Scott Walker, they all, you know, you know both of them, certainly yeah. so ability. Uh, John Kasich, I served in the House with uh, John, you know, John Kasich. No, we have, we have a lot of talents out there. I just don't see Ted Cruz and Rand Paul being part of that talent pool. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he like. I don't think he likes him. I really don't think so. He calls him. Oh, okay. Here's another comment too by um, Peter King. 
uh, first he calls him, first he says he has a big mouth, now you see he's a frog. Maybe he didn't contact Geiker because mm, when Storm took out words. Dog needed a shower, dropped your laptop on the tower. No matter what your reason, take it to your day to day. Take it to your day to day. Geico. How much blame do you lay at the feet of Senator Cruz? I lay almost all of it at his uh, feet because he's the one who started this. Now, having said that, there was about 35 or 40 House Republicans who went along with them. But I can tell you from the beginning, Speaker Boehner and Charlie Rita Cantor both said, we should not take this route, but it was going to be disastrous. Sure enough, it has been. Uh, we allowed 35 or 40 people basically to threaten to bring the House down. And as a result of that, we're in this position. But Ted Cruz is one behind it. And I said from the start, he was a fraud because this, this strategy never had a chance of working. He knew it wasn't going to work. But he was able to intimidate and influence people uh, to go along with him, saying that if we, if the House voted to uh, defund Obamacare and shut the government down, he would take care of it when it got to the Senate. He had no chance of ever doing that. He knew it. This was just a stunt by him. And as a result of that, the country is on the verge of default and the government is shut down. I mean, it comes to something, doesn't it, when the Chinese state-run news agency carries a commentary which said it's perhaps a good time for the befuddled world to start considering building a de-Americanized world. Uh, and they've done that almost entirely on the back of Senator Cruz's efforts. So there's this man purporting to be a great patriot who may be leading America into a place they really don't want to be. He's also managed to make Obamacare more popular. I mean, the approval ratings for Obamacare have gone up over the last 10 days when we should have found every reason to be critical of it because of the, the very poor startup that it's had. No, and Senator Cruz, but he also uh, appears, I mean, around the country, there's a lot of Republicans leaders who are standing in the outside criticizing Congress for what they're doing. It's not Congress. Okay, Congress, you can blame us. They should go after Ted Cruz because even if this is resolved now and we get a three or four month hiatus here or a ceasefire, whatever you want to call it, the fact is he's going to be back again, threatening to do it once again. And he's, he's going to rewrite history to say we were on the verge of winning. The American people are just about to go our way when some, certain Republicans crack. So we have to go after him. And I would hope that national leaders throughout the party make a point of saying we're not going to allow Ted Cruz to hijack this party and bring the country to the edge of ruin. It's just wrong. And also to a point here, too, Ted Cruz, I think he's going to try to out-talk during the debate. I think he's going to try to out-talk Hillary. If Hillary Clinton runs, I think he's going to try to out-talk Hillary Clinton. I think he's going to try to. Uh, Now, you think that, you think he's bad. Check this out. Good evening. Today we are gathered at a time of extraordinary challenge. Tonight, we are all united in defense of Christians. Tonight, we are all united in defense of Jews. Tonight, we are all united in defense of people of good faith who are standing together against those who would persecute and murder those who dare disagree with their religious teachings. 
Religious bigotry. Okay, he's a good. He's a cancer. He's starting out right. He's starting out good so far. ISIS. Al Qaeda. Hezbollah. Hamas. And their state sponsors like Syria and Iran. are all engaged in a vicious, genocidal campaign to destroy religious minorities in the Middle East. Sometimes we are told not to loop these groups together, that we have to understand their so-called nuances and differences. But we shouldn't try to parse different manifestations of evil that are on a murderous rampage through the region. Hate is hate, and murder is murder. Our purpose here tonight is to highlight a terrible injustice, a humanitarian crisis. Christians are being systematically exterminated. In 1948, Jews throughout the Middle East faced murder and extermination and fled to the nation of Israel. Today, Christians have no greater ally than the Jewish state. Let me say this. Those who hate Israel hate America. And those who hate Jews hate Christians. And if this room will not recognize that, then my heart weeps that the men and women here will not stand in solidarity with Jews and Christians alike who are persecuted by radicals who seek to murder them. If you hate the Jewish people, you are not reflecting the teachings of Christ. And the very same people who persecute and murder Christians right now, who crucify Christians, who behead children, are the very same people who target and murder Jews for their faith for the same reason. I will say this. I am saddened. Respect, respect, respect for dialogue. Respect, please, we're in America. I will say this, I am saddened to see that some here, not everyone, but some here, are so consumed with hate 
that you cannot address your brother. I will say this. If you will not stand with Israel and the Jews, then I will not stand with you. Thank you, and God bless you. That was, that was it. <laughs> well, sir. Well, sir. Ted Cruz made the horrible decision to bring his uh, gigantic load of horse feces to national TV. Now, it's one thing if he does a non-filibuster filibuster just to hear himself talk with nobody in the room, uh, and he's unchallenged, right? Or, you know, he allows people to challenge him for little sound bites of two and a half minutes. But, no, no, if you go on national TV and you're set in a forum where you get equal time, both sides, you're going to get run the fuck over, you snarky bastard. That is exactly what happened. Um, Van Jones is going to put a whooping on him. And also, uh, I believe it's Senator Whitehouse. Let's watch. Uh, one of the new developments is you talked about what's popular, what's not popular. One thing that's incredibly unpopular right now is the Republican Party under your leadership. Uh, you came to this town within a, within a year. You've become the most prominent Republican in this town. And we, thought we now have polling data that shows the Republican Party is less popular than it's ever been in the history of the party, which is shocking. I wonder if you now, and this is, you know, we're, we're all friends here, we can talk. <laughs> Do you feel like you owe your party an apology? Uh, if, listen, you, you, have, you have people who believed in you. They believed that you were going to somehow be able to defund Obamacare. They believed that this strategy of shutdown might have a chance. They followed you into a ditch. And now there's obviously no chance that Obamacare is going to be defunded, and we're on the brink of a, a horrific default. Do you think that in the reflection of your own heart, you might say, you know what, I'm a new kid here. I think I owe you guys an apology. Uh, you know, Van, I know you desperately want to change the topic from Obamacare. And, and it is striking. That, 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 uh, hold on, let me answer your question. The let, let, let me answer the world economy. Van, let me answer your question. Listen. Democrats in this town do not want to discuss Obamacare. Why? Because it isn't working. We saw this week President Obama's approval ratings are at 37%, the lowest it has ever been. The Wall Street Journal poll just came out. And Democrats have the lowest support among the middle class they've had in 40 years of polling. Why is it? And, and why is it? And it's, and it's for two reasons. Number one, because House Republicans are working to fund vital government priorities. They passed 14 bills to do it. And President Obama and the Democrats refused to negotiate. And number two, it is because House Republicans are listening to the millions of Americans who are losing their jobs, who are being pushed into part-time work, who are facing skyrocketing oh, health insurance. Do you, agree with, do you agree with this? Is this your analysis? This, this the the uh, notion that Obamacare is a failure, I think, is a product of right-wing histrionics. I went into our insurance exchange in Rhode Island when I was home over the weekend, there was a family at the front desk. They had been in earlier to get waited on and to get served, and they were so happy with the way they were treated that they were now coming back. They brought in two big tubs of Dunkin' Donuts coffee and stacks of donuts for everybody. The report from Chrissy Ferguson, who's running it, is that people are hugging their employees when they find out what the options are. The idea that CMS, that's a pretty anecdotal story, CMS has adjusted the long-term 2010 to 2020 costs for Medicare and Medicaid down 
by $1.2 trillion from the 2010 estimates to 2013. You've got to believe that Obamacare has something to do with those huge savings. The Republican Party decided that Obamacare was going to be a failure early on before Obamacare was even decided. It was a political choice to pull all support for anything that this president wanted to do. Now they have to look, so they have to maintain that storyline. But I have to tell you, Senator Cruz, I don't see it at home. I don't believe it. And I think if you know anybody who had a child, say, with a pre-existing condition, who was trapped in their job for the rest of their lives because they could never move because no other insurer would ever cover for them, or the child who got out of, went beyond the cap, and the parents had to sell their house in order to pay for the continued cancer treatment because they'd blown through the cap. Those are situations that needed attention, and Obamacare has fixed them. Senator Whitehouse, for the win. Oh, Ted, how you feeling, man? It's hard when somebody can actually talk back to you, isn't it? Because you can't just run your mouth and have verbal diarrhea all over the place while you make things up. God, I... And this guy, Ted Cruz, thinks he's going to become president. <laughs> First of all, he's way too extreme, right? Uh, and then, obviously, when he's put in a room with somebody who can respond, he's, he doesn't know whether he's coming or going. I love how Van Jones asks him, ask him a specific question, and then he goes, these Democrats, they don't want to uh, focus on Obamacare. Uh, but he just asked you a question about the government shutdown and about the record unpopularity of the Republican Party. Why don't you want to answer that question directly? Speaking of government shutdown, uh, listen to this. This is from um, CBS News. Ted Cruz is on with uh, Bob Schieffer at Face the Nation, and he's going to say that uh, he, sh he didn't shut the government down. I think Bob has a perfectly reasonable question as a follow-up. Let's start uh, watching this exchange. Uh, let me ask you this. You became a celebrity uh, when you led the drive to shut down the government over Obamacare. But afterward, your fellow Republicans said you led them over a cliff. Can you conceive of any situation in which uh, you would uh, do that again, try to shut down the government in exchange or in, or in demand for some action by the president? Well, Bob, with, with all due respect, I, I don't agree with the premise of your question. Uh, throughout the government shutdown, I opposed the government shutdown. I said we shouldn't shut the government down. I think it was a mistake that President Obama and the Democrats shut the government down this fall. The reason they did so is that President Obama dug in and said he wouldn't compromise, he wouldn't negotiate. Yeah, I know. In the alternate reality you live in, Ted Cruz didn't do a giant fake filibuster where he demanded that they shut the federal government down to repeal Obamacare, it's that the president was obstinate and decided to shut the government down because he wanted to do what? Repeal a law? No, he wanted to keep the law exactly as it was. You're the one who took the action, not him. He wanted to keep the law exactly as it was. He wanted to keep the government running exactly as it was. You're the one who led that movement. What an unbelievable liar this guy is. And Rare instance here on a Sunday talk show where he actually gets called out on it. Bob, have at it. All right. Let me, let me go back to one thing. And the, the question I asked you was, would you ever conceive of threatening to shut down the government again? Well, as I said, I didn't threaten to shut down the government the last time. I don't think we should ever shut down the government. I repeatedly voted well, to fund it, the federal government. 
and Senator, the if you didn't, shutdown. if you didn't threaten to shut down the government, who was it that did? I mean, uh, but we'll go uh, on to something else. It was Harry Reid and President Obama. But Bob, look, I, I understand that the White House said over and over again the shutdown is the Republicans' fault, and I understand that's what you're repeating. But the reality is, I voted over and over again to fund the federal government, and the reason we had a shutdown. Look, the Democrats well, were very candid. I know they told you, they said, we think the shutdown benefits us politically. Right now, the Democrats are telling you that they want another shutdown because they think it benefits them politically. Uh, Why Senator, is it hard to understand that they force a shutdown when they think it benefits them politically? Senator, I know what Republicans were telling me, like John Boehner, who said this was a disaster and never again. But let me ask you one more question here. The government is approaching now, another... Well, now, just a minute. Just a minute. The government is approaching another deadline, February 7th, when it will run out of money unless Congress agrees to raise the debt ceiling. Will you agree to raise the debt ceiling, or will you demand something in return? Look, of course we should do something. We shouldn't just write a blank check. Well, of course I'm going to threaten to shut it down again. But you see, I'm not the one shutting it down. All right, I like Bob Schieffer getting a little riled up there. Say, hey, hey, wait a minute. Let's figure out who's hosting this program. It ain't you, big guy. Okay. So this guy's got some balls on him, man. He shut the government down. Obama shut himself down. And, you know, it's his fault, not mine. Man, you got to watch out for guys like this. People who can lie like that without blinking, they're dangerous, dangerous folks. Thank God at least they're getting called out a little bit here uh, in the mainstream press. And, by the way, the reason they are is because the establishment Republicans also turned on them. So it, it's not like Bob Schieffer all, all of a sudden became a, a lion of courage. It's okay. The Republicans and Democrats, the establishment ones, agree that Ted Cruz was wrong. Now, it's a case where the mainstream uh, of the both parties is actually right, which is very rare. Okay, but they are in this case, and it was definitely Ted Cruz's fault. And we're going to continue with this. Um, Politics. Can we come up to the top of the hour? And we're going to be back at the top of the hour for more. With Rubio Ticket, the man that knocks murder uh, cases is overturned. Your comments and more. One nation talk. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Hi, this is Savannah Guthrie with an urgent story developing right now in every state and county across America. Despite having more than enough food available in this country, there are nearly 16 million kids, that's one in five children, struggling with hunger. They often don't even know where their next meal is coming from. And the worst part is, this has been going on for years. 
There's no excuse for it, and that's why Feeding America is doing its best to put an end to childhood hunger. As a nationwide network of food banks, Feeding America engages local communities in solving hunger by collecting surplus food, giving hope to hungry kids and their families all across our nation. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. You can start by going to feedingamerica.org to learn more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Son, the views of peace and nature talk are not necessarily views of talk shows. GeneratorProductionStudio.com and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Talk, your Sunday evening form where we bring you the bring you the, the talk that needs to be talked about. Of course, 2016 again is upon us, and uh, there's a lot of politi- politic news going on. Uh, <laughs> A lot of news going on. Um, One of one of the stories that's been going on is uh, another group, another who think who who we gonna hear a lot of, and that's 
Bush and Rubio. Bush and Rubio running. Can't see it. I just can't. Really can't see that happening. I can't conceive it. And these days, my job is to cover Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, which means spending a lot of time in Miami. It's really hard. Oh. Um, but in talking to Florida Republicans uh, about the emerging race, I mean, obviously there's some concern about how the race might go to replace Rubio should he run for the presidency and bypass the Senate. But there's also a talk among Republicans down there really wishing that the two of them could run on a ticket together. That, of course, can't happen. It's against the rules. You just can't do it that way. That's why Dick Cheney, who was living in Texas at the time, quickly went home and re-registered in Wyoming so that he could run with George W. Bush. But Republicans persist. They say, look, Bush has all this executive experience. He's bilingual. He has a Mexican-American wife. Rubio's young. He has an interest in foreign policy. Why not? So think about it, you know. It could be at this point next year they're both still the front runners, and one wonders would one of them consider moving somewhere else. I think not, but it's fun. Mm. Yeah, they're going to move to another planet or I care. Uh, as far as my thinking, look, I think Jeb Bush is going to be a very credible candidate. I think he's going to raise a lot of money. I saw recent projections that he's going to raise $100 million or so. I think he can easily do that and more. He's got an extraordinary network of donors around the country, and, and I know that he'll be a strong candidate as he runs. From my perspective, the decision that I have to make is where is the best place for me to serve this country at this time in my life and at this time in my career. And the choice before me is to continue in the Senate, especially now that we hope to hold an enduring majority, or do it in the presidency. And both of those, uh, both of those avenues have their own set of opportunities that are alluring. But ultimately, I know I need to make a decision in due time if I want to be able to mount a credible campaign for the presidency, which I believe we can do irrespective of who else is in the race. And uh, so that's where I am in my thinking with regards to that as of today. My view, as I've described it, is if I decide that I want to be president of the United States, that's what I'm going to run for. I think if you run for president, that's what you want to be, and that's what you run for, and you focus on that. Because you've made the decision that at this time in your life, that is the best place for you to serve your country. And if I, intend, and if I decide to make that decision, it will not be with the intention of looking for a, a plan B if it doesn't work out. So, yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't be able to run for real. At that point, I would imagine we'll have a, multiple Republicans running for the nomination and, and seeking it on their own. So uh, my plan is not to run for president, and if I don't succeed, qualify for the Senate. That is not my plan. That is not my intention. My intention, if I run for president, is to run for president. My view, as I've described it, is if I decide that I want to be president of the United States, that's what I'm going to run for. And I think if you run for president, that's what you want to be, and that's what you run for, and you focus on that. Because you've made the decision that at this time in your life, that is the best place for you to serve your country. And if I, intend, and if I decide to make that decision, it will not be with the intention of looking for a, a plan B if it doesn't work out. So, yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't be able to run for real. At that point, I would imagine we'll have a, multiple Republicans running for the nomination and, and seeking it on their own. So uh, my plan is not to run for president, and if I don't succeed, qualify for the Senate. That is not my plan. That is not my intention. My intention, if I run for president, is to run for president. Okay, you heard it from the horse's mouth. Um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a good question here. 
I think America is a Christian Christian nation. Want an honest answer? No. The way the way it's, the way it looks now is not. It started out to be one, and then it started out to be one that just, I guess, it just went straight to hell. But gotta love us. You gotta love this nation. Um, you heard Rubio. Now, here's Rubio. Now, here's um, Jeff Bush. I remember Jeff Bush when he was governor of Florida. And that's during that time when um, the big Florida upset happened. They're upset about that. Uh, Jeff Bush getting ready for a 2016 run? I hope not. I hope to God he's not. Lord, please don't let it be. That's Republican. We don't need another Bush in the White House. A Bush outside of the White House, yeah. This strategy, don't be so angry. Be a little bit more positive. Be a key for success for the Republicans you know, in 2016. Maybe in a general election, but honestly, I think uh, not in a primary. I think in, in people, a midterm election. I mean, but I'm even thinking if he does well, run he for runs, the presidency, if he runs for the presidency, uh, the base of the Republican Party is angry right now. They're unhappy. And I think if he were to run for the presidency, he'd have to have a little bit of a re-education in how to talk to the base of the party because it's changed over the last seven or eight years. It's become more, shall we say, more to the right? Well, the whole country has become more polarized, and the base of the Republican Party, particularly with the Tea Party uh, on the rise, you know, I think it's a it's a different party than Jeb Bush left when he was when he was governor. What do you think of that strategy? The strategy he's advocating. This is something he's long believed, number one. Right. It's a glorious point. Uh, you know, immigration is going to be an issue in the next primary. Jeb Bush is more to the center than the base of the party, probably. Uh, Health care will be an issue in the next primary. He was very interesting today. Where he said, there's nothing I like about the President's Affordable Care Act, but, and then he went into what Republicans should do to replace it. Uh, he's a policy guy, which makes him interesting. The thing that was most fascinating to me about today, Wolf, is he's been off the bike a long time. He hasn't run for, you know, he hasn't run for elected office in quite some time. So to see him in sort of the town hall style setting, I actually thought he was having fun, uh, number one. He was humorous, number two. And if you're a Republican wondering, is he too rusty, if you look today, you probably think pretty good. He was and pretty he, good. He, at, he at, turns at, political questions into policy questions. And he was twice elected governor of Florida. He was a popular governor right. in Florida. Don't take the candor right out of him, though, because the minute, you know, if, if he were to say, okay, I'm running for the presidency, then suddenly you have the handlers around you constantly. You're worried about every word that you speak. Right now he can afford to be a little bit more relaxed. But once you're on that national stage, forget it. It all changes these days. Don't forget Florida is an important electoral state. Oh, yeah. State, as we right. all know. All right, listen to this. Uh, you know, you are seeing something interesting emerging. Uh, and John's the pro, but so many races so close, it's bringing in the big names because if you can sway something right now, that's momentum into 2016. Hillary Clinton in Iowa talking jobs and Jeb Bush coming back and talking to her. It's a nice little preview going on there, nice little sidebar we're seeing. 
And do we have the do we have the Jeb Bush sound? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's play the sound first. I wanted your comment. I care more about you. I saw something that was breathtaking. A candidate, a, a, a former Secretary of State, who was campaigning in Massachusetts, where she said that don't let them tell you that businesses create jobs. Well, the problem in America today is that not enough jobs are being created. Now, Secretary Clinton, to be clear, later corrected that comment. She said what she meant was she doesn't like Republican policies of just giving tax breaks to businesses, hoping they'll create jobs. She said, of course, businesses create jobs, but she doesn't like the Republican tax policy. She did correct herself, but Republicans are seizing on that. And the big question is, Jeb Bush, taking Hillary Clinton on directly, that's something we've seen Rand Paul do. That's something we've seen Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz do. Is Jeb Bush taking her on directly? Should we take that as a tea leaf? He's been leaning a little bit more forward to running. Is that a sign he's going to run, or is he just having fun on the trail? And uh, what's we'll the answer? I think shortly after the first of the year. Uh, uh, I think he's leaning more in, and you talk to people, he's leaning more in. But you don't find anybody. In a place like this, the key for me is, do you find somebody here who's an active organizer in the Republican Party who says, I got a call on my birthday from Jeb Bush or on my anniversary or on some date? Is he starting to do that yet? No. Is he meeting with fundraisers? Is he starting to organize? His son says that the family's okay with it. So he's moving forward, but he hasn't taken the big final plunge yet. Yeah, I think we're almost out of time here. I just wanted you guys to know what the Booker's got? got Hillary Clinton to come on the show today. Oh. And you got, we got, whoops, here we go. She seems a little here, You got President Obama. I got to bring them all down. You got oh, President Obama that. to come on the show today. Wow. I'm at the Institute of Politics in New Hampshire, so we're having a little fun. Oh. Governor Romney, you have to be bipartisan. You, you guys have any questions? Uh, no. <laughs> Your Bookers are impressive. Wow. Sure. Your Bookers are really good. They're, They're really across purposes there. <laughs> Now, what you're about to hear is Lord Ingram, Ingram, as he rails against Jeff Bush at the CPAC hours before he speaks. Oh, boy. This ought to be fun. Pony 
show, we do all these debates. Why don't we just we just call it quits? And Jeb and Hillary can run on the same ticket. I mean, go through the list of things they agree on. Common core, amnesty, giving Obama fast-track trade authority, a lot of new trade deals with China, the surveillance culture. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm designing the bumper sticker. It could be close. <laughs>
And don't worry, I'm still doing my radio show, Fox and ABC, and raising my three children uh, and a thousand other things. Uh, uh, I didn't feel like I had enough to do, but I feel like I feel like we need this now, especially as we're moving into 2016. Um, I want to discuss what I think we should look for in a presidential candidate. We have a lot of great people. I loved watching Ben Carson. I enjoyed the back and forth uh, with uh, with Governor Christie yesterday, and uh, Ted Cruz, of course, lights up the stage like like nobody else. So. The idea that we should be conducting any type of coronation in the Republican Party today because 50 rich families decide who they think will best represent their interests, no way, Jose. <laughs> Merely having the right ideas, however, is not enough. Strong conservatives have to be able to debate anyone, anywhere, on matters of policy and win. Remember, Ronald Reagan did that. If, R if Robert F. Kennedy wanted to debate Ronald Reagan, he'd debate RFK. And he did this across the country. He wrote, he refined his thoughts, he studied. He was a serious conservative. We need that today. A strong conservative can explain his or her positions in a language that is precise and a language that is clear. We also need a candidate who is proud to be called a conservative. Proud to stand with you. Not a conservative who comes to CPAC to check a box, but a conservative who comes to CPAC because they are conservatives. Not a, not a so-called conservative who nodded with the elites a few years ago, back in 2008, when the elites were saving, saying that conservatism was over, was dead. A faux conservative would kind of scratch his chin and kind of nod his head or her head and say, you know, I didn't like the tone of what they were saying. I didn't like the message was too harsh. It was, it was too blunt. My friends, when Republicans join the Democrats at the altar of big government, and they might call it one year compassionate conservatism. They might call it the next year American greatness conservatism. They might try to rebrand it as a, uh, as a right to rise conservatism. My friends, peel back the onion. Pull back the curtain. Make sure that when candidates are asked simple and clear questions, a question like, do you really think the American worker is lazy? Do you really think the American workers aren't as entrepreneurial as new immigrants or illegal immigrants? Do you really believe that we should repopulate Detroit with foreign workers in order to spur a, a new econ economic revival? Make the candidate answer the question, not hide behind talking points. Conservatism has made this country better, and we need and we deserve a presidential candidate who is excited to be part of this movement. And, you know, think about it. Each time we've listened to the elite, uh, we're sorry we did so. You know, they said Reagan couldn't win. They were wrong. They said the Soviet Union couldn't be defeated. They were wrong. They said inflation and high interest rates, high unemployment were permanent things. They couldn't be eradicated. We had to learn with a new era of scarcity, and they were wrong. 
The elite said we couldn't turn the American spirit around again, and they were wrong. You want more? The elite said we couldn't we could raise taxes and no one would read our lips. But the American people did. And the elite said we couldn't win control of Congress and that Newt Gingrich and his revolution were doomed. They were a doomed failure, but the American people thought otherwise. The elite said we couldn't run the table in 2014 and that Obamaism was the wave of the future, that women and minorities uh, and, and, and single moms would never turn out for conservatives, and they were wrong. The people thought otherwise. The elite said that if elect conservatives embraced and passed comprehensive immigration reform, i.e. amnesty, in after 2012, remember all those comments? that conservatives and Republicans could never win in 2014. The elites were spectacularly wrong. So when the going gets tough in this next election cycle, in this presidential cycle, you have to ask yourself, which of these candidates is going to stand up and fight for me? The American worker, the American family, the mothers and fathers who play by the rules, don't ask for handouts, don't ask for special treatment, but don't want to be insulted by the elite. They want to be respected as human beings who have their own dreams, the American dream. And American citizenship means something. It's not just a piece of paper. It's an ideal. And it's a belief in the system of government that our framers started, that our forefathers fought for, that men and women in uniform sacrifice for every single day. American citizenship is not something that should be so easily bargained away. American citizenship is ours. My friends, I am so proud uh, to be a conservative. I am so proud that the usual suspects in the media uh, are still scoffing at what all of you are doing here at CPAC. I want to tell you that you, as you move forward through the rest of the day and you hear some really compelling remarks and panel discussions and Q&As, for a moment, don't forget where this movement came from. It came from men and women who were told that conservatism was yesterday's news. When we know that a free people properly energized who are not regularly insulted or demeaned or left out of the space. The free people, the people who make up the conservative movement, are going to turn this country around. We are going to be part of a new revolution of growth and understanding and optimism and fun. deliver your Sunday paper every week. Seven. I'm the intern. We work on the same floor. One in eight Americans is struggling with hunger. Six. Our kids walk to school together every day. Including millions of children and seniors. Five. We chat in the elevator at work sometimes. We all know people who aren't sure where their next meal is coming from. Four. I'm your cashier at the grocery store. Three. I work at the coffee shop around the corner. Two, 
I'm your babysitter. I care for your children. One, I'm your grandmother's friend. We play bingo together. Who's the one in aid in your life that needs help? You can make a difference through Feeding America and its nationwide network of more than 200 food banks. Take action at feedingamerica.org slash one in eight. A public service announcement brought to you by Feeding America and the Act Council. Some students are tackling more than just their schoolwork, which is why more than 30% of them aren't graduating. But with a boost from you, 100% of them will have a better chance to make it to graduation. Go to boostup.org to find out how to give the high school students in your community the boost they need to make it through. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is Nation Talk. Well, we're back with the bottom of the hour. And uh, one of the news items that I got a chance to, I heard about, is the Amanda Knox case. Um... It's been overturned, believe it or not. And uh, she she went home. She's free and clear, and she she's 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 home now. Um, just in case you didn't know about the case, here's something about it right now. Amanda Knox's trial. Over the weekend, the defense called its last witness. Now, after spending nearly two years in an Italian jail, she and her family will finally learn her fate. Here's our David Muir. After seven months of hearings and more than 100 witnesses, the final witnesses took the stand over the weekend. Among them, a DNA expert called by Amanda Knox's defense team, who took aim at the kitchen knife prosecutors believe was the weapon used to murder British student Meredith Kircher. Prosecutors say Amanda Knox's DNA was found on the handle and that her roommate, Kircher's DNA, was found on the blade. But the expert told the court that that DNA was too minuscule to be reliable and that the knife easily could have been inadvertently contaminated at the lab. Amanda Knox's attorneys also point out it's never been proven that that was the actual knife. A coroner testifying it doesn't even match the injuries. Prosecutors have tried to convince the court it was Amanda Knox's then-boyfriend, Italian Rafael Solesido, who held Meredith Kircher by the shoulders as Amanda Knox fatally stabbed her. But with closing arguments now expected next, Amanda Knox's attorneys will not only point to these new questions surrounding the knife, they'll also point out that none of Amanda Knox's DNA was actually found in Meredith Kircher's bedroom. They'll point to Amanda Knox's own testimony, explaining discrepancies in her stories to police. Amanda Knox originally told police she recalled a vision of herself cowering in the kitchen as Kircher was killed, but later said she was instead at her boyfriend's house the entire night. Knox testified that confusion was the result of brutal police interrogation, that investigators had slapped her on the head and called her a liar. And finally, the defense will point to a third person, Rudy Gaudet, a local who sold drugs, who has already been convicted in the murder. The defense will point out that he was with Meredith Kircher at a party the night before her murder, and that it was his DNA and his DNA alone found in the room where Kircher was murdered. For Good Morning America, David Muir, ABC News, 
New York. And joining us now live from Seattle is attorney Ann Bremner. She's also a spokesperson for Friends of Amanda Knox. And Ann, thank you very much for joining us this morning. I know you've been in contact with her family. How are they doing right now? Well, I, I think that they're hopeful that justice will be done, Robin, this morning. Um, but, you know, this has been every parent's nightmare, and it's been such a long journey that this is – we're coming up on two-year anniversary, the mm. two-year anniversary of this horrible crime, which was committed by a person that's been convicted and is in prison. Amanda's defense team seems to be hinging their case on implications of con contaminated uh, evidence and, and tampering and such, trying to, of course, establish a, 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 a reasonable doubt that we often hear in American court system. But how is it different there in Italy, Anne? It's a completely different system. First of all, these jurors aren't questioned like they are here about what they've read, their, what their biases may be. They don't have to be unanimous. There are eight jury, jurors and two judges. And then in, in terms of their deliberation process, they don't, they don't have to have, they have input from the judge that's different than what we have here in the United States. We have a great system here, and it's something so different that we see in Italy. And what the defense has done here is try to look at this evidence and say, you know, witnesses can and do lie or they can be mistaken, right. but the evidence never lies. Well, you know, part of the, the problem here in her defense is that the uh, conflicting statement she made when she was uh, under being questioned by the police, and her defense, mm -hmm. of course, put up a, a psychologist and trying to explain her state of mind at the time. Do you think they did a, a good case of, of, of pleading her side of it there? I do. We have the Miranda rule in the United States about coerced confessions that you can't, you have a right to a lawyer, you have a right to remain silent, those types of things that we, that we take for granted. She was questioned for over 41 hours, overnight, was hit in the head, and there were also stressors there and suggestibility. So, you know, it's a whole different situation. And finally, they asked her to imagine what could have happened had she been there. And so what happens now? And we know that the last witness has been called, uh, is closing arguments. I know, again, it's different from what it, it is here in the U.S. It's absolutely so different. Of course, it's based on Roman law. Ours is common law from, from Britain. But the fact is, there may be an independent inquiry. We don't know. They're going to reconvene on the 9th and 10th of October to look into that issue. But then if that's not um, brought underway, then there'll be closing arguments, which could go on for some time. But, you know, they're not in session. They weren't in session. There was a hiatus over the entire summer. Right. And they've been in session generally like a couple of days a week. Well, you've been... Amanda Knox speaking out for the first time since being convicted of murdering her British roommate and ABC's Nick Watt is in London live. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Ron. Well, Amanda Knox was clearly shocked and stunned by that conviction. She calls the feeling horrendous. She adds, the guards helped me out. They held me all night. Knox was speaking with reporters from her cramped jail cell in the Italian town of Perugia, where she was convicted of murdering her roommate two years ago in a sex game gone wrong. Knox continues, I'm waiting and always hoping. I'm scared because I don't know what is going on. I don't understand many things, but I have to accept them, things that for me don't always seem fair. Knox is a 22-year-old University of Washington student who was studying in Italy for a year when her roommate was murdered and Knox was arrested and then convicted. She strenuously maintains her innocence, and Ron, she is planning to appeal. Okay. Second follow-up segment tonight. Last week, American student Amanda Knox was sentenced to 26 years in an Italian prison for murdering her roommate, a British student. 
That prompted Peter Van Sant, a CBS News correspondent, to say this on the factor. This is the Duke lacrosse case all over again. A prosecutor puts out a wild theory of what happened, a sex game gone wrong. Bill, I'm telling you, with all of my journalistic uh, profession behind me and all my integrity, this woman is absolutely innocent. But there are folks who believe Ms. Knox is guilty, and Ann Coulter is among them. Her book, Guilty, Liberal Victims and Their Assault on America, is now out in paperback, and Ms. Coulter joins us now. You know, Bad Sands a good reporter. The guy is uh, solid. He's not some ideologue or anything like this, so... Well, I'll tell you one way it is not like the Duke Lacrosse case right away. 48 Hours wasn't running special after special after special on how the Duke Lacrosse players were innocent. You didn't have the media saying that actually innocent people were innocent. We always get this from liberals. They want to defend the guilty and, and prosecute the innocent. And, that, and it's not just the Duke Lacrosse players, but if I can just say, because the American media, I mean, this is like a, a Manson murder throughout Europe. They're fixated on the case. The evidence is coming out in the European newspapers, like with the global warming emails, like with the Fort Hood shooting. You know, you have to go to European newspapers to get the facts on this case. Um, and you keep hearing people say there's absolutely no evidence, no evidence. Um, I'll just give you four quick pieces of evidence. One is her story was, and she wasn't a suspect at first, she was a witness because this was her roommate, she was on the scene. Um, for five days she said she spent the entire night at her boyfriend's house. On the fifth day, the cops said to her, no, we know you were at the house at some point that night. And then she said, yes, I was at the house and I heard my boss rape and murder my roommate. She fingers an, uh, another guy. The cops arrest him, Patrick Lumumba, um, hold him for 14 days and then find out he has an absolutely rock-solid alibi. Now, why is she fingering someone whom she claims she heard rape and murder the roommate when that guy is clearly completely innocent of this crime? Um, and as for the forensic evidence, I mean, one thing that is not coming out in the media is they had cleaned the entire apartment with bleach. So even though Amanda Knox had been living in that apartment for months, um, and had been there that morning by her own accounting, there was only one fingerprint of hers found in the entire house. So it's not like the place is littered with DNA and they didn't find a lot of hers. One of her, of her footprints was found in the room that had been um, ransacked and made to look like there was a break-in, except the window was broken from the inside, not the outside. Um, her boyfriend's bloody fingerprint was found on the bra strap of the murder victim. Um, the boyfriend's footprint was found he outside. He convicted the boyfriend. As, right? Yes, he was. Right. Boyfriend's footprint was found outside the room, and three spots of the victim's blood mixed with with Amanda Knox's blood. Three blood spots were found in the bathroom. How did Amanda? Why was Amanda Knox bleeding? Do we know? Well, it would suggest that it, it wasn't necessarily her blood. It was her DNA in right. Meredith's blood. Well, they said the DNA levels. Van Sanser, the DNA levels were just too low. And she, they never would have made it to a U.S. court, that there just wasn't enough. And also that her story was shaky because the cops roughed her up, um, kept her, you know, in an interrogation okay, well, situation. Okay, let's take that. First, we'll take the, her claim, as they always claim, I falsely accused someone else because the cops yeah, were mean to me. Yeah, the cops were mean to me. Okay, well, she had 14 days to rest up and recant while they interrogated the guy she fingered. They interrogated him. They held him for 14 days. They find out none of his DNA is in the apartment. He had never been to the apartment. And they find out he has a rock-solid alibi. So don't tell me, oh, I fingered somebody else in a moment of confusion, and then for, for the next 14 days I let him sit in prison. But if there isn't physical evidence, uh, you're saying that they, uh, 
that they sanitized the crime scene. And they, they went and over and, and let me add, right. there are witnesses that say, although she w said she was in her boyfriend's apartment until 10.30 a.m. the next morning, there's a witness who owns a convenience store or a supermarket who says she was waiting for him to open the next day and went up to get the cleaning supplies. And there's a receipt for bleach. And they bleached the knife. Oh, I neglected the knife. And the not one of the knives that Pretty killed damning. Meredith. Pretty damning. You so, have so Amanda Knox's right, DNA. Wait, wait, this is an important one. Right. Amanda Knox's DNA on the handle. You have the victim's DNA on the blade of the gun. And where are the of the of the knife? Where is the knife found? Not at the apartment. At Amanda's boyfriend's apartment, having been washed with bleach. All right, but what? Okay. So that gives you the gist of. Of, uh, of that case. You okay back there? Yeah. Okay. When we come back, as I told you in the beginning of the program, is the story that is not only controversial, but I think is sick. Wow, yeah, since the storm, it's been crazy busy for us. We got all kinds of office desks coming in. Uh, here's, a, here's a fancy one right here. It's missing a leg, but that's all right. Whatever. Washers and dryers from a laundromat. Wow, and check this out. Another deep fryer. And I'm not sure what this doohickey is. Yeah, most businesses weren't ready for a storm like that, you know. But our work's really piling up here at Roberts & Sons Salvage. What will become of your business after a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now, before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Deuteronomy 33, verse 27 declares, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, Destroy. Trying times are inevitable, but so is your protection and ultimate victory. Nothing can harm you when you abide under the shadow of the Almighty. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says of his sheep, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. As a child of God, the redeeming blood of Christ covers you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Just like the Israelites who applied the Lamb's blood to the doorposts of their homes and were protected from the angel of death, your life is under your Heavenly Father's protection. No lasting harm can come near when you're under His watchful eye. Always remember, my friend, God's got you covered. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are that necessary. The views that talk to you, Jam Radio Protection, com. And it's sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
Welcome back. Well, we talked politics almost throughout the night. But this particular story, I had to share. I had to. I saw this to, right before I went on the air. I think it is crazy, sick, whatever you might call it. I think it's a shame before God that they actually have thought about this. This is in the Huff Post, Hufferson, well, Huff Post. And this is in the gay voices section of of the of the blog. Check the story out. Gay passion of Christ envisioned and attacked. Jesus arrives as a gay man of today in a modern city with the passion of Christ. A Gay Vision, a controversial series of paintings that are newly available as a book. Paintings and the new book that I wrote about them, this is someone else, this is um, someone who wrote this article about them, have been attacked as blasphemy by conservative Christians, but we refuse to concede Jesus to those who act like they own the copyright on Christ and use him as a weapon to dominate others. The contemporary queer Christ figure is persecuted, killed, and rises again in the 24 paintings by New York artist Doug Blancher. A surprisingly diverse group of friends joined the gay Jesus on a journey from suffering to freedom. The right-wing Christian denounced denounced as blasphemous and condemned our book as an abomination, disgusting, and an outrage to mock Christ in this manner. Facebook canceled the ads for the book because it was too shocking when the LGBT community protested the social media company reversed its decision and resurrected the ad. Oh, God. LGBT Christian vision, visions are important now because conservatives are using religion to justify discrimination against queer people. Whenever anyone commits violence against another, 
Francis crucified again, including when LGBT people are attacked or killed because of who they are. Every group envisions Christ in their own image from their own context. And now there is a gay vision of Jesus shaped by the by the political, economic, and cultural forces of our time. LGBT people often identify with the hurt and the humility, humiliation that Jesus experienced on the cross. As Easter approaches, Christians around the world remember Christ's passion, his suffering, his final days, as he was portrayed, arrested, and brutally killed. Many LGBT Christian, Christians and their allies turned to the passion of Christ, a gay vision for inspiration. Blanchard's gay, Blanchard's gay way of the cross shows a contemporary Christ figure who stands up to priests, bankers, politicians, soldiers, and police, of all whom look early, eerily similar to the people holding those jobs today. He is jeered by fundamentalists, tortured by, by Marine lookalike, killed as news cameras broadcast his pain and rise again to enjoy Homoretic union with God. It goes on and on and on. I um, I was when I saw this, I I put it on my on the Facebook page and um. I don't think I don't have I don't think anybody commented on it yet. Uh, I'll let you know next week if if they did. Um, this is one. It's sick. It is very very twisted. What the hell were they thinking? I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this crap. They just put and Facebook reversed reversed it and put in the ads. In the ads, you know the ad that pop that comes on when they you know, advertising the phone. Yeah, I want to cuss, but I got to remind myself, I I, I, I got to remind myself, no, 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 you got to kind of cool it with that. But it makes you want to cuss. It does. I can really, I really cannot believe it. And 
Uh, and again, a lot of people go, and I know when they hear this, they're going to say, oh, he's gay bashing. No, I'm not gay bashing. I'm just telling you how I feel about the whole thing. It's, it's blasphemous. It shouldn't be in bookstores. It should be banned. It should be burnt. If they can... Now, they ought to do like they did in the 80s. Um, at the end of the 70s, in the 80s, the beginning of the 80s, when, they, when disco was, was, was uh, a thing of the past, you know what they did? They burned the records. They burned, they burned every disco record. Now, they should do the same thing with this book. I don't give a damn if you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. That is, that is blasphemous. And it's all get up. It is. As a clergyman, that's how I feel about it. I never saw anything in the Bible saying that Jesus was gay. Although he had, I know you uh, Although they said, although he'd been around uh, 12 men for the past two years, they all were like brothers, practically. They were all all of them like brothers. And uh, he was there to help. He was actually the whole. This is really messed up. I'm telling you, it is. This, that's messed up. Um, it's on Huffington Post. It's on Huffington Post. Take a look at it. Take a look at the paintings. And you'll see what I mean. I looked at it and I, I don't know. It's 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 strange. It's weird. It's blasphemous. Outright blasphemous. I'm telling you. And that's what I'm gonna say about it. As a matter of fact, that's going to be my final comment. That's going to be my final comment tonight. My Lord. world's going to hell. The people in the world... Going to hell. These are the very. These are definitely the last days because it's like anything goes now. Anything goes. And I'm trying to. I'm gonna say it again. There is no such thing as gay rights. It's a behavior 
but no, they want to make it a civil a civil rights thing. Anyway, I got that off my chest. We'll probably talk about that more. Uh, if, I, if, if there's any comments about it, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., it's Morning Inspiration on Jerry Radio 2.1. Bringing the best of gospel music at 6 a.m. Be sure to join me then. The... Let me see if he's if he's logged in yet. If Bishop has logged in yet. The um he'll be on at two o'clock. Bishop Phillips will be on at ten for his program. Check it out. Let's see if he's if he is if he if he's on yet. He might be on. Check real quick before I go off the air. But in the meantime, um, I want to thank all of you for joining us on Nation Talk every Sunday. Um, we've I it's always enjoyed on this program to talk issues, politics, you know, the you know, the the whole the whole works. <laughs> yep, the impact the, the impact conference is on it'll be on in a few moments with uh, Bishop Bishop Phillips. And it's one one nine eight seven four that's the call ID number. Be sure to join them for that. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoes, Generated Productions, SodaHead.com. Whoa. And its sponsors. This has been Nation Talk, a public affairs program that airs. Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Be sure to join me then for more of Nation Talk. I'm going out with a different note, a different song tonight. Donald Fagan, IGY, What a Wonderful World. One of my favorite songs from back in the 80s. Until then, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.